why don't we start first off thanks for coming out so sweet to see you guys out here um, why don't we start like we always do with the creed we'll do the apostles creed we haven't done that since the summertime um, so if you can pull it up on your phone I'll be reading the second one on on a Google search under under reformed Christian reformed church when I see your eyes I know you're ready I said that kind of creepy, right? <laughs> cool. I'm seeing some eyes. Not everybody. Okay. All right. We're ready. Let's do it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Well, again, thanks for coming out. I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation on disability and the church. My intro here will be pretty brief. Honestly, um, I'm a bit ashamed that it's taken me this long to dive into this topic. And I don't mean at theology on the ground, I just mean even personally. Um, it wasn't brought up in any of my seminary classes, um, and nobody until Laney um, had me read a book on it. Um, I never sought this topic out on my own. Um, and I think maybe a reason for that is is because this topic can make a lot of people feel uncomfortable. Maybe why, maybe it's a reason why even this room isn't packed right now. Um, but like Lainey talked about earlier at church, um, if we are a body, um, and the body of Christ is all believers, um, then this topic is extremely important. It's where, where we're called to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Um, and so that's why we have Laney Mayer with us here tonight. Um, Laney grew up in Northern, in Northern California and in Chicagoland. I never heard it called that before, but she calls it Chicagoland. This is the suburbs. Okay. Um, you're not a Warriors fan, are you? Bulls fan? Okay, she's not a basketball fan. That's fine. That's fine. Um, well, she she went to Biola University in Southern California and did an MA in theology, and then she became a professor over there, and she taught Bible to undergrad kids um, or students. Now she's working on her PhD from the University of Aberdeen. I think some of my favorite scholars went to Aberdeen. It's like the, uh, it's like the Lakers of, uh, <laughs> PhD programs. Um, but, but her, her heart is in the classroom. She's passionate about building, uh, up Christians to love God through theology and church history. And so with a, a PhD, she hopes to get back into the classroom and do just that. Hopefully at Denver Seminary, maybe. Yeah, that would be cool. She's married to Brad, 
If you guys, if you don't know Brad, you got, you guys have to meet Brad. Brad is awesome, super chill. And they have a, a son Everett who turns one when March. March. Okay. Wow. Craziness. Um, well, welcome to theology on the ground, Lainey. Thank you. And I should say, my dad, uh, his regret, he will tell me that he raised me poorly because I'm not a sports fan. <laughs> so that's his regret as a father. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe it's a good thing. I mean, I'm, I'm a little obsessed myself. Um, so let's start with this question here. Eleni, can you just share with us what you're working on with your PhD? And also, how did you become passionate about the topic of disability? Yeah, so like Rick said, um, I am getting a PhD in theology from the University of Aberdeen. And if you've never heard of it, it's... Okay, it's not in the United States, it's in Scotland. So I've done my program um, from a distance. And um, what I was first drawn to um, in my studies was thinking about the topic of theological anthropology, or what it means to be human from a uh, theological perspective. So it's questions like, who am I? What am I here for? Is my body important? Um, I've heard a professor joke, it's every youth pastor's uh, doctrine. (laughs) So especially right now, though, this is rich. We are just floundering in our society. Who am I? How do I define myself? Do I define myself? Am I defined by others? Um, What does it mean to be on this earth? What am I here for? Um, What role does my body play? These are all questions that are rich right now. Some of these topics are more um, classical, so you might get things like metaphysical, body, soul, what are we made of? Um, But you also have some really relevant topics right now. AI, disability, race, um, things that we are wondering about, uh, transgender, sexuality, all of that has to do with um, the topic of theological anthropology. So it seems like um, I'm, the reason I'm excited for this is because it's a moment for academic theology to be on mission in our society. So um, more specifically, PhDs are very narrow. Uh, More specifically, I'm asking the question, uh, what does God's liberation look like for the oppressor? It's a lot. And especially that word is a lot, oppressor. Immediately you might go to things like um, Marxism, or you might go to social movements today where they talk about oppression. Um, But what I'm really most interested in is a, a biblical phenomenon. So we're studying Luke right now, and when Jesus opens a scroll in the synagogue, he says this. Uh, This is Luke 4, and he's quoting Old Testament scriptures. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So all throughout scripture, we get this word oppression or oppressor or oppressed. Israel is oppressed um, by its enemies. Um, 
Egyptians, for one, among many others. The Lord sees the Israelites' oppression, and he has pity on them, Scripture says. He sees their groaning of being oppressed. Um, He is a stronghold for the oppressed in Psalms. He does justice for the oppressed. And even in Isaiah 53, where it talks about Jesus as the suffering servant, it says Jesus is oppressed. So this word is very biblical. And God is for the liberation of the oppressed, as we see in Scripture. But what I'm arguing is that he wants to liberate the oppressor as well. Because when you are mistreating someone else, that interrupts your relationship in community, and it interrupts your relationship with God. And so there's a whole distortion that is happening that God wants to free people from. Uh, Israel was oppressed, yes, but they were also the oppressor. And that's why the biblical prophets exist, to call out this oppression that Israel was um, committing. And so um, the restoration of the community of God is my hands, you know, on the ground interest in all of this, is what does it look like when there are maybe power dynamics or different abilities or different elements at play in a community, we all bring ourselves to the community. So what does it look like to enjoy God's liberation and God's community and what, it has, what he has for us to be in right relationship with one another and him? So um, with disability specifically, um, oftentimes uh, disabled people are not at our churches. Um, that's not to say that they might not want to be there, but sometimes it can be quite difficult um, with accessibility to get there physically. Sometimes it's difficult. Um, they're welcome in the doors. They're included. But they're, it's not a place of belonging where there's reciprocal friendship and um, an understanding of uh, disability. And so my interest is how does disability play a role in um, this, com- this liberated community of God. Um, so I'm writing a, a piece of my work on the topic of disability. Wow, that is <clears throat> exciting. Um, ha- and just a quick update, ha- how are you doing on the, on the process? It's, it's, quite a, it's quite an animal, it's right? It's a process. I may be, goodness, into the writing. I'm about 25% through. Um, the whole process, more like probably 50 60% through. Cool. Sweet. So she can use your encouragement and, you know, if you want to just babysit Everett, give her some time to get in the books, I'm sure she would not turn, turn that down. <laughs> um, so, so I guess it's never a bad idea to define our terms. Can you give us a definition for disability? Yeah, this one's hard. Um, if you look at different statistics, you find different things even. So the U.S. Census Bureau um, says that 13.1% of Americans are disabled, while the CDC says that 26% are. What gives? We have very different numbers. And that's because this is a really difficult word to define. Um, It includes people temporarily, so someone might be in that category and then not later, so that is hard to track. Um, Someone may not uh, take on that label. The the deaf community rejects it altogether, I learned recently. And so um, it's, it's a little dicey. So... Uh, I want you then to envision, when you heard about this event, what disabilities came to mind? Um, Perhaps you thought of things that were visible or congenital, um, and oftentimes that's that's probably what we most think about. 
is um, things from birth and things you can see. But that, that's not all of disability. So if we were to just take um, three visible from birth um, disabilities, um, like being in a wheelchair, uh, being blind, and cerebral palsy, just those three alone, if that was all disability meant, those three things, well, if you're in a wheelchair, it could be temporary. You might not always have a wheelchair. You might use a wheelchair with age. Uh, it might be because of an injury. It actually might be freedom for someone. I can move because I have this wheelchair. Uh, you take being blind. Uh, sometimes someone's born with that. Sometimes it's acquired. And for most of us, there's the phenomenon of reading glasses eventually. Uh, if you have cerebral palsy, sometimes that intellectual disability accompanies it. Sometimes it doesn't. So even just these three things, you can see there's a variety. And that's not all that disability is. Disability includes so much more. So just, I'm going to give a, a ton of examples here. So disabilities can be from birth or they can be acquired. Um, so my grandmother... Um, at 18 months old, um, she grew up on a farm, and there was a farm accident where she lost one of her fingers, uh, or a part of it. Um, and so that finger and the one next to it is virtually unusable. It's not um, something that she, they, there's no feeling. She can't use those fingers. But since it was from 18 months, she has no memory of this accident it's, she's always had uh, no use of those fingers. Um, I have a friend who, in her uh, mid-20s, was in an ATV accident and lost a finger. Now she had to relearn things. How do I sh wash my hair? How do I um, you know, type, text, all these things that she had to relearn? So my grandmother's experience, virtually from birth, and my friends are very different, though it's the same exact disability, loss of use of fingers. Um, so it can be from birth, can be acquired. Disability can be temporary, it can be permanent. So I have um, some hearing loss that fluctuates, and at its worst, um, I haven't been there for a while, but at its worst, it was really hard to be in social settings because I couldn't hear people. And so I had to think ahead, how am I going to position myself where I sit so I can hear someone? How am I going to um, you know, make sure that the music isn't too loud or whatever the situation is? Well, someone who um, my hearing loss has improved, it fluctuates, and it's been a lot better for a while, so I don't have to think about that anymore. But someone who has a permanent disability, say autism, they have to think through social settings all the time. And that doesn't go away for them. It's, it's not a temporary thing. It's permanent. Uh, disability can be physical. It can be mental. It can be intellectual. So Special um, Olympics is for those with intellectual disability and is very different than a Paralympian with a physical disability, both disabilities. Even within, let's say, a learning disability, dyslexia is different than someone with a more severe mental retardation. So we're having a huge spectrum here, even within the same category. Uh, disability can uh, have pain accompany it, or it can be painless. Um, I'm not aware that there's any physical pain inherent in, say, Down syndrome, but there could be. You might have um, uh, 
pain, muscle pain because of the way that um, that body is um, formed, but you don't have to. So there's sometimes pain, sometimes not. And on top of it all, disability is culturally bound because it's a reflection of what we think is normal. So if something is a deviation from the norm, and what is normal is a cultural concept, then that's labeled disability. So here's an example. So in colonial America in the 1600s, you could be limp or deaf or have one arm or a whole variety of physical um, differences, and you were not disabled. You were considered able-bodied. A lot of times injury was more prevalent in that culture, and um, disability was actually defined as someone unable to perform labor. So if you had one arm and you could still work, you weren't disabled. It was a cultural concept of what was normal. So you might be wondering then with all of this, uh, what, why do we even talk about disability if it's so broad? How do we understand it? Are we just, I mean, is it even helpful to use that word? And I'd argue it is still. And I have uh, a few reasons. So four reasons why it's still helpful is that um, it's a common public idea. And so we're responding to something that is out there using the words that we have to describe something. Disability can also be helpful in getting treatment. So in 1990, the American Disabilities Act was passed, and um, it was a political um, legislation that gives people the treatment they need. So someone might choose to identify with that word disabled so they can get treatment. Um, So it helps politically in that sense. Another reason why disability, uh, that word, is helpful is because it shows us that there is a range. There is a range of human experience. And if we polled everyone in here, uh, human experience is broad. And so a disabled experience is one of those. It's not a binary. It's not the disabled and the able-bodied with a large demarcation in the middle. That's just simply not true. And so limitation is actually a very human thing. Um, we all have limitations. Not all of us can, um, you know, this, do the same thing as our neighbor. And so because of that, that inability is actually a mark of just our human state. And it's also a very big marker of being a believer, too. We're not believers because of what we do. None of us in this room is a Christian because we saved ourselves. Um, it's because of what God does And so our limitation is actually a very Christian idea. It's a very theologically rich idea. And um, disability can help us see that more clearly. So the fourth thing, the reason why disability is helpful, is um, it names a societal oppression. So um, sometimes, uh, unfortunately, disabled people receive... um, uh, Varying treatment because of their disability. So it's the, the uh, like looking to someone else to speak for them. So if I am encountering someone um, who is disabled and then an able-bodied person, or visibly at least, um, I might only look to the able-bodied person to speak for the person with disabilities. Um, those kinds of things happen far more frequently. Um, you know, inability to be able to um, 
access public places was something that 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 legislation corrected in 1990 because that disabled people weren't able to get into public places, things like that. Um, A Christian experience is um, prayers for healing, which are well-intentioned. We would love for people to experience um, God's healing in every aspect of their life. But often, disabled people remark that they are on the receiving end of unsolicited prayers for their healing. Or maybe they want prayers, but they want prayers for something completely unrelated because they have a full life. They're just, they're not just their disability, but sometimes Christians, perhaps well-meaning, reduce them to that disability. Um, so, uh, there is a scholar, um, disability scholar, uh, Nancy Eastland. She says that what defines disability is actually that common struggle for liberation. Rather than this body part doesn't work, this is different, whatever that is, it's actually we're all struggling against um, this oppression that we experience. And part of this comes from um, that there are two models right now in work um, in disability theology. And this is broader than just theology even. It's just disability studies would name two models. So the medical and the social model of disability. So the medical model um, is a response to trying to understand disability um, and trying to cure it. So the disability is in that body part or that um, difference or that specific thing. And it's uh, trying to understand it and then cure it medically. So if an example... um, a wheelchair entrance um, to a building, uh, if, if someone's in a wheelchair, and the building doesn't accommodate that, well, then the medical model would say, we need to fix their legs so that they can use that. We want to cure the problem, and that is, say, their legs. Uh, so that's the medical. And then the social model would say the problem actually isn't in that body part or isn't in that experience. It's in society's values and then pushing that on to everyone. So um, we have a value of um, efficiency and productivity in the West, and disabled people don't follow that very well. Their bodies are a little bit more, uh, require more time. Their speech requires more time, whatever that looks like. And so uh, they are not following society's value of productivity and efficiency, and therefore they are stigmatized, different, disabled. The disability is uh, not in a body, because there is no normal body, or it's not in a a mental state, because there's no normal state. There's a variety, and instead, the the problem lies in society. So the same example um, is that uh, if there was a wheelchair, uh, someone in a wheelchair coming into a building, Instead of requiring a fix to their legs, uh, we need to fix society. We need to say, oh, there's many ways to get into a building. You can build a ramp. You can use the stairs. You can lots of different ways um, because society is the one that needs to change. I've heard also the example with Down syndrome of um, Down syndrome. People with Down syndrome seem to often be um, creative and friendly and exuberant. And those maybe aren't things that we can monetarily value, and so they're just not as important. While there's not actually anything, what's wrong with a person with Down syndrome? 
well, they, they're creative, they're friendly, they're, they're all these, these are the values and the, um, that we want from, or we don't want in society, but society wants that from a person. So one example um, is American Indians actually tend to not have disability, historically. That doesn't mean they don't have the same physical, mental, intellectual experiences that have gone throughout all of history, but the word actually doesn't exist for many tribes. And that's because um, everyone has a job. So let's say someone had an intellectual disability in, a tri- in an American Indian tribe. Well, they're going to be a great water carrier. They're going to have this, and they can help the community through that task. So there was no conception of disability because they, their society was able to see a role for everyone. So that would follow the social model, where we have the problem being the society, not necessarily a body part or a person. So a lot to say. Disability in a nutshell. Thank you so much there. Yeah. So much there that we can think on. And I mean, even just talking about limitations. This is, this is who we are. Um, we are all limited beings um, and just what is normal and what is you know normal for our culture um, I, it was interesting reading Brian Bo- Brock's book and even um, <clears throat> that one book my uh, I'm, I'm not a prayer request or oh, something like that Kenny's. yes um, it's just interesting even thinking about that I, I remember when I got saved I got saved at a, at a word of faith church a, you know, name it, claim it, healing everyone's church. And I remember being at the University of Oklahoma, and whenever I'd see, you know, anyone in a wheelchair or crutch, I'd like go up and, you know, ask them for prayer. <laughs> and as I'm reading this book, I'm like, wow, what were they thinking about me <laughs> in some of those moments? Well, um, wow, that was, that was a great definition. Um, so let's get to another pretty big question here. Can you give us a brief biblical theology on disability? Um, we're here to talk about disability in the church, but let's start by asking, where do we see disability in the Bible? My answers will get shorter, but this one's a long one, too. <laughs> so when we think of disability in the Bible, where does your mind go? Probably Jesus' healings. That's where we go. And that's not a bad place. That is a great place to look at disability in the Bible. It's not the only one, but it is a great place to start. But we have to contend with some things. Um, Jesus, he doesn't heal everyone he meets. So what do we do with that? He also heals spiritually and physically. So how do we weigh that? He also is from an Eastern culture that views healing in a very particular way. And we're in Western culture. So we need to do some work in diving into these narratives a little deeper. Um, So if we look at um, the medical social model again, um, we are trying, I think, genuinely to understand. And if we understand the disability, then maybe we can, um, we want to understand the Bible. We want to understand how disability looks in the Bible. And so often I think we look at it in a Western medical model. Well, Jesus is curing that body part. Period, done, end of sentence. Well, in the East, um, there's much more emphasis on holistic healing. So there's a look at how does your body interact with your 
um, with your relationships, interact with your mind, interact with your emotions. And this is how Jesus would have thought of healing in that time. We call this alternative medicine now. Uh, just to show how much we are, um, we're used to going to a doctor's office and getting a cure. And that is just running through our veins. And so, um, Jesus' healings, they, they have that holistic healing. And they're not just about a physical healing. But they're about highlighting, um, they're using that physical healing to highlight the spiritual condition. So if we just look at a few examples, we'll look at Jesus' healings, and then we'll go on to look at some other examples of disability in the Bible after. So we're in Luke. That's a good place to go. In Luke 5, there's the cleansing of the leper. And in that passage, he asks for cleansing, which is a ritual uh, category. It has to do with the religious life of the church. And Rick did a great job when he preached this of talking about the complete uh, stigma that would come with that. You're just completely removed from your family. From hold, You couldn't hold a job if you had a skin condition. You couldn't be involved in the temple, which played a huge role in the community as a whole, you know, the community life. And so he was just completely ostracized. He sat on the corner and begged because that was the only option. No one would touch him. Didn't have a hug, didn't have a, couldn't have a job, couldn't have a hug, couldn't have all these things. And so when he asks for cleansing, he's not asking for healing, he's asking something different. Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to cleanse you. Make it so that you can go back into the temple. Well, how does he have to do that? He has to cure the skin condition. That's the means to cleanse this man. In uh, Mark 10, Jesus heals um, the blind man, Bartimaeus. And he does so after Bartimaeus calls out, have mercy on me. So here we have again, cleansing, mercy. We have people asking Jesus for something different than I think I used to read these narratives. I used to think it was he wants to see. He wants to be cured. That's not necessarily the case. These people are calling out for um, holistic healing, and Jesus is offering that. He's he's curing the physical so that he can address the spiritual as well. John 9 um, is a great passage uh, for disability um, because it has just so much rich, so many rich things to say there. So it's the passage where the... um, the blind man is begging, and um, the Pharisees are a part of this story. And um, they ask, well, who sinned? Why is he blind? Was it this man? Was it his parents? Because clearly that's the only option. And Jesus makes it clear that disability is not a result of individual sin. We also have a reversal. This, I think this story is actually kind of funny. We have the blind seen. He receives his sight. We also have the seen Pharisees who are blind. They can't see Jesus in front of them. They can't see the spiritual truth that this is the Messiah. And we see the blind man come to increasing knowledge of who God is. At first he calls him the man called Jesus in 9-11. Then he calls him a prophet in 9-17. He's from God in 9-33. And finally the blind man says, this is the son of man, the Messiah, in 9-38. So we have this conversion story. He sees Jesus. 
sees him for who he is, and he's blind. Whereas later in the story, the Pharisees, Jesus calls them out because they are blind. So the disability here is actually the one who truly sees. That is so profound. That disability actually enhances one's ability to see Jesus. And that can be true today. So I said that wasn't just the only place, that we have also disabilities in other places of the Bible. So I'm just going to read this list. Not comprehensive, but it shows us a long list of disabilities in the Bible. So Job has a skin condition. Isaac becomes blind. Leah has weak eyes. Jacob limps. Moses had a stutter. Samson becomes blind. Elijah was depressed. Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth, is a cripple. Timothy had stomach issues, and Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And God didn't heal them all. So what do we do with this? How do we understand these passages? Let me just pick out a few. So with Samson, he had, um, his temptation came from his eyes. He had a, a roving eye, was very drawn to women, and it actually was his downfall when he um, met Delilah and she, you know, gave away the secret that his hair was the, the, uh, the way in which his strength came about. And it's actually when he became blind that he can now obey God. And the end of the story, he's blind, and he's finally listening to God's purposes. So here's another event where the blind see, and when he could see, he was blinded to how God could use him. Um, Moses had a stutter, and he asked God to please do not make me go in and save the Israelites. I do not want to do this. And God's response is really, really revealing. So in Exodus 4.11, God says, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God made Moses stutter. He made that disability, and here he's going to use it. It is for God's glory that even Moses, even that he had this disability. Another moment where we see God's glory on display is Jacob. Uh, Jacob, he just is so arrogant at the beginning of his story, and just kind of like a weasel. He tricks his brother, he runs away, doesn't want to confront, he like won't meet his brother when with their herds and all their people. He's just this kind of like, I don't know, he's not my favorite character. And then he has this moment where he encounters God. And he wrestles with God in the night, and he's left with a disability. His hip is out of place or something happens to it where he walks with a limp for the rest of his life and God gives him a blessing. God gives Jacob a disable a disability and God gives Jacob a blessing together. They're they're together. And that blessing actually isn't just for Jacob. It goes for the rest of Israel. They experience this blessing through Jacob and through this moment where God met Jacob. So sometimes God even disables a person 
Sometimes God refuses their request to be cured, and sometimes God miraculously heals, and all of these situations are for God's glory. Really, really good. Um, gosh, I, I, you, you brought up Paul and, and the thorn in the flesh as well, and I just I turned there, and it's just, just interesting. He's pleading. This is the guy who's literally like healing people left and right, and he's pleading that God would take this from him, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power's made perfect in weakness. And uh, yeah, it is, it is interesting that God uses these things intentionally for, for us to cling to him. Um, I know as someone who has a stuttering problem, and, and sometimes it comes out a lot worse than other times, uh, man, I have pleaded with God that this would not be my lot anymore and 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 and, and yet I, I'm I'm I don't know I don't know where I'm at if I'm grateful for it or not. Um but but it has caused me to be utterly dependent on him and that I know that's a good thing. Um well so I kind of piggyback what you're saying here. Um I think a lot of us if if we're thinking theologically we might ask the question, well we, we live in a fallen world and with the fallen world, we, we all experience the effects of that fall. Sin inside of us, and, and, and sin and its effects outside of us. So my, my next question is this, is disability a result of the fall? This one's a fun one. So this is where it gets a little tricky, so you've got to stick with me. Um, I think a common conception is that God created the world good, and Adam and Eve sinned and introduced uh, sin, disease, pain, into the wor- death into the world. And so disability exists because the world now has sin in it, and therefore disability is an effect of the fall. And that's, I think, a con- what we generally understand in the church. And yes, that's true. And yes, there's moments we need to tweak things out a little bit. So God did create the world good. We see that in repetitions in Genesis over and over and over. Good, good, good. And that's not um, just the, um, you know, that's humans and the rest of his creation. But with humans, we see uh, reaffirmed in Psalm 139, the goodness that he knits us together in our mother's womb, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's this beauty that God still finds us good. The fall didn't take that away. So every life is made uh, by God, and he delights in that life. We also have the doctrine of the imago Dei, or the image of God. And uh, that also is not marred or uh, changed in the fall. So we are in God's image. And a lot of times in the past, this has been defined um, through our abilities. Well, We have capacity different than animals. We can do X, Y, Z. Therefore, we're in the image. And now scholars are saying, that doesn't, all humans are in the image of God. And that doesn't include all humans. So we've also said, okay, so the image of God means we can have relationship. Well, that also doesn't include all humans. And we already know that all humans are in the image of God. So that doesn't fit either. So a lot of um, theologians right now are saying that it is actually relational, but the image of God is sustained in God cultivating that relationship. So it's not dependent on what I do. 
It's not dependent on how I relate to people. It's that I have capacity for relationship with God. And that doesn't change regardless of my, uh, st- my state, my disability, my uh, any sort of kind of human experience you can imagine. God still can sustain me in relationship with him. So we know that we are created by God with design and goodness. We know that we're in the image of God. So then Adam and Eve sin. And sin is introduced into the world. And so because of sin, uh, there is suffering and pain in the world. In all forms. We all experience this. We could go around the room again and have a whole host of experiences of pain and suffering. And that's the state of our world right now. So one way that someone can experience pain and suffering is because of disability. There can be uh, physical pain. There can be stigma that people uh, experience. Um, Ostracization from the rest of the community. Um, There can be emotional toll from disability. So all of that is a result of the fall. That is not God's design. But often, I think we have this idea that sin introduced uh, kind of like a, like in the, it's in the air. There's problems in our world. Kind of like a natural disaster. Like because of sin, tornadoes happen. So because of sin, disability happens. And I want to hold on that thought because there is going to be bodily personality, mental, um, intellectual variance. And that's not sinful. God could create someone with three legs, and that person is created with beauty and design and good. And so it's not this kind of sin in the air, sin kind of natural. We live in a sinful world that creates disability. So in this sense, sin is... um, yeah, disability is not a result of the fall in this regard. It is when it comes to the pain and suffering of disability, but not necessarily in just variety and diversity in humanity, in humanity and human experiences. Uh, one last thing that's important is that our sin can actually disable others. <clears throat> so we can cause injury and harm to other people in their bodies, in their minds, whatever that is, that create disability. Um, Think of Cain and Abel. We get that right out of the start in the Bible, that we can harm others. So um, this story is graphic. I I apologize. Um, But I think it really drives home the fact that we can disable others. Um, So there was, in 1991, um, a failed abortion attempt um, that this little girl survived. However, not before the abortionist had ripped off one of her arms. So she lived without an arm. because She was disabled because of sin, so clearly. And there's so many layers to that, of course. Um, but we can create disability, and that is a result of the fall. So yes and no. <laughs> um, there are suffering and pain, our ability to harm each other. That can create disability, but not necessarily that someone's body or difference or um, maybe a centric personality or, you know, cognitive uh, variance is, is not a result of the fall.
So good. So helpful. And again, for a lot of us, whoa, we, we have never thought about any of this stuff because it has always been sin introduced into the world. So things like disability are a part of that. And that's kind of as, as far as we've gone. This next question kind of, you know, builds more on that. And this is a question that as I've been, I've been reading some of these books, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with, I don't know where I'm going to land here. Um, you know, in, in the resurrection, like, shouldn't I play basketball like LeBron James? Um, sorry, that wasn't in my notes. Um, but 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 is is there disability in heaven? In, in Romans eight, Paul says that that our adoption as sons and daughters of God culminates in the redemption of this world and the redemption of our body. So I'm curious as to your thoughts on on disability in regards to new creation. This is another common place that people um, in talking about disability, or even just Christians as a whole, I think are really interested in with good reason. So is there disability in new creation? Um, I think our common thought is, of course not. Disability exists because of sin. Sin is not in heaven. Therefore, there is no disability in heaven. But we just talked about sin, and that diversity does not end um, on earth. We are going to have a diverse kingdom of God in uh, the new creation, and that includes bodily, mental, emotional, intellectual variants. So it's interesting to see that uh, Disabled people themselves have very different responses to this question. So you might have heard of uh, Joni Erickson Tata's response. She's very vocal about it, that there is no disability in, in the new creation, and she looks forward to the day when she has um, the restoration in full capacity of um, her body. Um, but that's not everyone's experience. Uh, disabled people sometimes fear losing the part that makes them them. I was watching um, a few months ago a YouTube video where uh, six uh, people with Down syndrome were being interviewed, and they had a ver variety of questions, and one of them was, if you could remove your Down syndrome or, or get rid of it, would you? And no one said yes. Now, they had all different levels of acceptance and comfort with who they were, so that varied, but no one wanted to take it away. It made them them. And Man, I don't know that I've even done that much self, you know, inward look at who I am and acceptance and believing that God made me well. And we as, you know, as a whole community, that is something that we can learn from disabled people because they are on, sometimes further on that journey than others of self-acceptance and understanding that God made them um, well. Yeah, go. I know you're not finished that question yet, but it's interesting too because even Joni, hers happened as an injury, right? Yes. Like as she yep. was a teenager or something? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that I think impacts her significantly is that she remembers. Yeah. So, variety of responses. So, the, the question then is uh, which you is resurrected? And I think this is something Joni would definitely wrestle with. Which you? Is it the eight year old you? The 38-year-old you? The 88-year-old you? Are you going to see grandma at like 20? Are you going to see her as grandma? Like, what does that look like? Um, are you going to be at your like 
peak performance when you were like working out and uh, you know taking care of your body and maybe your peak beauty like 25 30 whatever that is or are you going to be a little older a little younger are you going to be the with that injury the hip replacement or the, is that part of the, the resurrected you or the previous to that um Will my friend who lost her finger, will she have nine fingers? Will she have ten? Uh, will you have acne scars, or will you be resurrected before puberty? I don't know if anyone wants that. <laughs> will you? What is the ideal you? Are we just building an ideal version of who you are and saying, that's, that's the new creation right there? That's my peak. Well, what, what is peak? That 25-year-old probably does not have peak wisdom. So maybe it's older. What is our standard of peak? How do we understand this? Well, that's culturally bound. What is my ideal self? Maybe that's not even the right question when it comes to new creation. And scripture actually has something to say about that, that that is not the right question. In 1 Corinthians 15.36, Paul calls um, out uh, the person asking that they are a fool for asking about the physical body and the new creation. But we do know at least this thing about the physical body is that Jesus had scars. So we have to do something with that. What does that mean? There's no pain or suffering in the new creation. Revelation is clear. But Jesus had scars. So there's, I, my uh, proposal is in a kind of a agnosticism on the body, particularly. And in, uh, I don't know what God will do. I know these questions exist. I know that it guides me maybe with some framework. But what our bodies will be like in the new creation, you know, I kind of have to say, I, I'm not 100%. What scripture leads us to more, though, is think about a world without sin. The new creation, can you imagine? If there was no more temptation, you don't have to struggle against that sin anymore. And that involves community and friends and family, and they're no longer involved because it doesn't even exist. That there's no more ruptured relationships. That relationship with your mom, dad, sister, friend that has been so tumultuous, it's not. It's harmonious and wonderful. Uh, that there's no more jealousy. We're content with what we have. We don't have to wrestle with um, gossip or speaking against other people. Our words are used to bless and affirm. Our words are used to praise God. We're, we're all in worship of the Lord, and that affects the society. It affects how uh, the wheels turn on our local you know, interactions and our global interactions. Uh, that's the world that scripture calls us to envision, even more than the physical body. Uh, a theologian, a disability theologian, Lisa Powell, says that uh, maybe it's not that disability is gone in the fall. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But if it's not, maybe it's that ability is gone. That we all see ourselves as so interdependent. Mm. That I need you and you need me. And because of that, there's this beauty maybe even bodily or, you know, emotionally or whatever, in all these realms, that truly uh, is a beautiful thing in heaven. Wow, that is very convincing um, and super worshipful. Um, New creation, wow. 
Um, all right, this theology on the ground is called disability and the church. So where do we start, Laney? What, what can we be doing? What should we be doing um, at Redemption Parker when it comes to, to this topic of disability? So I have three thoughts. I'll give them to you and then I'll explain them. So we need to examine ourselves. We need to engage in friendships at church. And we need to look for gifts within the body of Christ. So our first thing is we need to examine ourselves. Uh, Brian Brock, a disability theologian, talks about the repulsion that comes with disability. And he uses his own experience, actually. Um, He injured his finger. So he talks about looking at it and being just completely repulsed. It looked so different than the others. It was black and blue. And it just was something he didn't want to identify as his own. Well, if we're honest, we might have a similar experience when we encounter disability, either our own or someone else's, that we're kind of repulsed. It's bodily fluids don't always stay where they do for other people, or there's a sluggish um, uh, you know, body or voice. Uh, there's maybe an eccentric personality that comes with disability. There's all sorts of things that when we encounter difference, we tend to fear. And so we need to be honest that that is what we are experiencing. And isn't that so true about the Christian faith as a whole? Is that we see this gap between what the ideal Christian is like, and then we look at ourselves. It's just, it can be discouraging. We know, everyone in this room, I am venturing to say, would agree with me on the things. Disabled people are made in the image of God. They're good. They're worthy of value. All of those things are not controversial, and yet we might not actually feel that way when we encounter someone. So, this is where the Spirit helps bridge that gap. God already knows the way we're feeling. It's not a surprise to Him that we feel that certain way or don't want to talk to that person or whatever it might be. And so this is where honesty and prayer is important. That we can come before a God who already knows and we can ask for help. Lord, I don't really want to talk to that person. So I'm going to really need your help on this one. And so we need to be honest with ourselves. With that assumption or with that experience, and then also we need to be honest uh, with examining our thoughts on disabled lives. Are they good? Are they valuable? Can they be fruitful and, uh, you know, six wonderful lives? I think sometimes we come in thinking that they must live a terrible life. I do. Like, oh man, I'm so, so sorry. I, I pity the experience of the disabled person. And yet, disabled people can live happy, fulfilled lives. Um, and it's not some, they're not an object of pity. They're not a, champ, a cause to champion. They um, are just another human experience. So, first thing, we need to examine ourselves when it comes to disability. And then the second is um, we need to engage in friendship with all people. This isn't a uh, disability-specific thing in the church, but we need to engage in reciprocal friendships. So um, more than just we're in the same room, we're, in, we're being included, but belonging. Um, you know, I am going to text you when you're not at 
at church on Sunday because I care about you. You're going to ask me about that thing that I'm you know, struggling with at work or whatever it is. There's a reciprocal relationship that needs to happen in the church. And that is true of people with disabilities just as much. It's not a, a special need. It's just a church need. Uh, oftentimes, I think we, uh, in a great attempt, we're, we're trying to do something good. We create a disability ministry that puts people off to the side. And yet, that's, that's not a great model at the end of the day. The model needs to be that we have disabled people in kids' ministry. We have disabled people attending our services, hearing our sermons, um, going up to the communion table. They're, they, it's not actually anything different than anyone else's need at church. Uh, it might come with specific accommodations to help them do those things, but it's a belonging where they're just as involved uh, in friendship as anyone else. So the third, then, is to look for the gifts um, within the body of Christ. And this is just uh, such a a beautiful thing in the way that the body works, is that um, I can look around the room right now, and I can say that, um, you know, McKenna has this, or Michaela, <laughs> Michaela has this gift of graphics, and she brings that to, to church. Um, I look at the Powell's life and how they've continually relocated and trusted God in that. And their life circumstance then encourages me to trust in God. Um, I look at Sarah, who always gives me a hug and is so welcoming. Look at the generosity of so many people at our church. Man, I could, like, The list is long of so many people who are generous and teach me. And there's all these gifts that exist in our church as the body of Christ. And disabled people have gifts to offer too. They have a vocation. Oftentimes we relegate disability to a pastoral care concern. How are we going to deal with this person? Well, actually, they have a vocation to something to offer to our church as well, uh, to our body of Christ. And so um, here's just a few. Um, it's not exclusive. There's more. I, just a few things that a disabled person might offer the body of Christ. So the first I, I have here is lament. Someone who is disabled may have had a, a, a rich experience of coming before the Lord in lament. It's biblical, and we can learn from them. How do I be? How am I to be honest in my prayers before God when um, when that's all, something hard to do? There's also the concept of crip time, um, which is the idea in disability studies that uh, time is different when you are disabled. Uh, you don't always get to the place you want because your body doesn't participate like you want it to. Um, you, uh, there might be a slowness of speech, a slowness of movement, a sl- just there's a slowness, and that is helpful. I, I, I wondered, uh, as I was preparing this, why Jesus came uh, when he did in history. Like, wouldn't it have been a better idea to come when there were airplanes? He would have reached a lot more people, and yet he went slow. He walked. He spent time with people, and his ministry was certainly not efficient. 
He could have hurried things up a lot with people. Anyone who has a child knows that time is not uh, money. <laughs> time is not, um, you know, we spend time. We, it's a commodity. It's given. Uh, it's actually love. Time is for relationships. Time is for love. This last week I spent, like, way too long opening and closing my pantry door. Because that was hilarious. <laughs> it was not productive. It's not efficient. And yet time is for relationship. Time is for love. And so it <laughs> agrees. So a disabled experience can often teach us about time that it is for love. Uh, we can also see the interdependence of the body of Christ. Um, so particularly, I'm thinking, uh, we can definitely see this in all disabled experiences where there's a, a reliance on others or a need where um, sometimes we feel very independent and the truth is that we're actually, we actually need a lot more than we think. We're pretty needy creatures as a whole. Um, it's just an illusion that we're totally autonomous creatures. Uh, but one way is in the body of Christ is through liturgy. So when someone's less inclined towards words in particular, this is not all disabled experiences, but uh, someone who's nonverbal, someone who um, has difficulty expressing with words, when words are not the default, here we come to church and we affirm that we are sinners. We affirm that we have an assurance of God's pardon. We go to the table, and we all do that communally. And so even if I can't say those things or sing those worship songs, we are doing it, and you're doing it for me. And I'm, you know, maybe I can't enter in in the same way, but there's a beauty in that we're all interdependent. Uh, One example that I, I thought of is my cousin has Down syndrome. And um, at the beginning of our monthly-ish phone calls, um, I was doing a godly sacrifice to, to give him my time and to talk to him on the phone. I was just so, uh, so giving and sacrificial. And yet that is it was so far from true because as I learned... Um, as we spent more and more time on the phone, he, I, don't, I can't remember a phone call where he doesn't say he's so proud of me, that I'm doing such a good job as a mom, that uh, he encourages me. Um, he, at my wedding, at our wedding, he met every single guest. Nobody else did that. He met every single guest. He doesn't get off the phone very often without telling me that God loves me. And, you know, he has this heart that is so evangelistic. And I don't. (laughs) I am scared of what people will say. I don't want to meet people. I don't want to share my faith. And he teaches me to be to tell people, to encourage people, to tell them about Jesus, to be more godly in these ways. So he has these gifts that I admire and I am so appreciative of. um, And I needed to examine myself (laughs) to get there, um, to engage in this reciprocal friendship. And then I could truly see um, just this beauty in this amazing uh, man, who he is. Amen. So practical, helpful. Again, this this uh, this, this conversation is 
um, deeply moving as well. I don't know if you guys are experiencing that. It's not just a lot of information. Um, I didn't have this question on here, but we have a little extra time before our next question. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, like, that is so helpful in regards to how we can engage um, in this church um, with disabled people. Um, how can we, so like, when we had our conversation on race a year ago or so, and we brought out um, a pastor from the embassy church in Denver, um, and he's a black pastor, and we, we were talking about you know the importance of diversity, um, even for the sake of the kingdom. He he did say though, like you, your church is going to look like your community, and he he said there ain't a lot of us here. Um, <laughs> And, but so, but but according to the statistics, thirteen percent, twenty six percent. Like so, like we we can have all this kind of practical application now. But but and and I don't want to I don't want to sound like yeah. How do we do outreach for? But yeah. but but if they're around us and they're unchurched, how how do we go out and bring bring them in? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of what I had said was that when you encounter a disabled person at church, but. This question is, how do we make our, our community and our church a place that is already welcome so that disabled people uh, feel welcome? Um, so a, a sad history is when the um, ADA, the American Disabilities Act, was passed in 1990. It required that all public buildings were uh, accessible for people with disabilities. And because that's attached to money, um, a lot of churches... Uh, fought it. And that's terrible history. So we, I think a very minimum, I mean, we're blessed in this that to be at a public space already, but is to make our space accessible. Yeah, that's good. That's a very first one. Um, and then I think another one is to, to perhaps engage that so we're ready. So we need to think through what are some of the things that would make someone want to be here. Um, that looks like the physical space. We need to think through, um, you know, things like how are they going to go through our, our service in particular? Um, and we're going to get there, but, um, we're, we're doing that. We're going to start thinking about that in kids ministry. And, uh, one aspect of that too is caregivers, Caregivers can be um, pretty maxed out. And so to, um, to think about how we can even support caregivers, um, whether that, I mean, that comes in all forms. That could be care for an elderly parent. That could be care for a child, um, a sibling, whatever that looks like. So having these conversations, perhaps even with disabled people, to say, how can we make our place physically and otherwise ready for you? That's super helpful, and I, I think that does transition to our, our next question. So I want to invite Kenna up. You can sit here, but um, <clears throat> that, I just I, I want you to just kind of share your vision for what we want to be rolling out in our kids' minute in this in, in this area. Yes. So um, this is actually just very providentially timed. Um, so all of the ministry lead positions are asked to write an annual ministry plan um, at the beginning of the year. So for me, that was August. Um, and we're supposed to think through, like, what are the areas that we are 
doing well and what are some areas of weakness in our ministry. And as I was thinking through that for kids ministry, one of the areas I identified as a weakness is that we are lacking a plan for welcoming and supporting children with disabilities or just special needs in general. Um, And so I wrote that in my annual ministry plan and then um, got a little overwhelmed when I started thinking about just practically how do we put this in into action, especially with the limited space and resources that we have. Um, So a little bit of background of why this even probably made it onto my AMP is that I used to teach um, special education, so it's something that I'm passionate about, and so the Lord, I felt, was really just stirring my heart when I wrote that that AMP. Um, So I reached out to Jen Oshman, actually, to ask if she had any resources for me, and she sent me a TGC article that was really helpful. It's called Four Ways to Be a Welcoming Church to Special Needs Families, Um, and it was just a great launching point for me. Um, I found it really helpful, and now that I've heard everything from you, I don't know if the statistic is totally accurate, but it did say that one in five families in the U.S. has a member with a disability. So obviously, this is a a a population that is underrepresented in the church. Um, And it is a need that absolutely exists in our community. Just are we actually prepared to meet that need? Um, And also I have learned that oftentimes, especially for kids ministry, word of mouth is like the fastest way that that will spread. So um, parents will find churches that already have something in place to welcome their children. And then that will bring more children to that church and more families that are experiencing disability. So um, this article, four of the things they mentioned, the first was develop a theology of disability. So good job, guys. <laughs> um, and the, the book that was recommended is um, Same Lake, Different Boat. I don't know if you've read that one. It's by Stephanie Hubick. It, I found it really, really helpful. Um, and then the second was believe every part of God's body is necessary. And so this includes children and children with disability and special needs. The third was to grow in accessibility. This is where it gets really practical, and this is the thing that I'm trying to kind of sort through and work through is how do we make our children's ministry accessible to um, most, if not all, children. And then the fourth is to actually go out and seek out special needs families and invite them in. So, um, again, that more intentional effort rather than just, like, sit back, come and see. There's a little bit more of preparing a place for them and then going and welcoming them into that. Um, I also found that Joni, is it Johnny or Joni? Johnny Erickson Tata? Her organization, Johnny and Friends, has a lot of really practical resources for churches and for kids ministry. Um, so I was pretty overwhelmed with all of this information. So I did find a group of people that um, after praying, I felt like they were people who were already really invested in caring for the least of these in our community. And so I asked if they would meet with me um, just to kind of brainstorm together what are some ways that we can start to practically do this in kids ministry. Um, and we had a couple of practical takeaways. So first was a parent survey that I sent out a few weeks ago. Um, just to assess, like, where are we currently? Are there needs that are not being met? Um, So if you are a parent and you haven't filled that out um, and you need the link, let me know. Um, We got about 17 responses, and um, there were were two families in particular that wanted to talk to me more about this. So that was helpful to know that, like, there are actually already needs in our church that we could do a better job meeting. Um, And then the other thing we talked about is that we need to identify some more people in the church who would be behind this mission and would be willing to partner with us. So you guys are here. <laughs> you may be a part of this um, this group of people. So if you are interested in, in joining this effort and kind of advising us and how to 
put this into action, please let me know because um, my capacity is pretty limited, in, especially in this season, so I'm going to need all the help that I can get. So if you are interested in partnering um, with Kids Ministry, that would be wonderful. Um, and then the buddy ministry that uh, Joni Erickson Tata lays out in her um, some of her resources is actually, I think, the route that we want to go because it um, it really enforces that reciprocal relationship piece of it. Um, so what that would look like is identifying and training a few mature um, and interested youth helpers who would want to partner with our kiddos to um, just attend. Sunday morning service with them. Um, and, and so in this system, it's the typically developing peers are called buddies. And then the peers who have unique needs are called friends. Um, and they go to class together. And those youth helpers are maybe more specifically trained on how to assist that child in particular. Um, so that's something I would really like to roll out hopefully in the spring. Um, so we have a, an annual kids ministry training in the spring. So I'm hoping to have a more firmed up plan by then and be able to roll out something hopefully starting then. Um, so it's very much this whole planning is still in the infant stages. We can use all the help we can get. So if you have ideas, suggestions, want to be a part of it, please let me know. Yeah. So sweet. Well, let's, um, we're right on time here. We're one minute early. Let's take a five minute break. And then when we come back, we'll have like 30 minutes of, um, question and answers. All right, guys, let's kind of transition now into some, some time of, of question and answers. Um, yeah, we have about 25 minutes or so. We do have to make sure we get the kids out of that room by six o'clock, but we can hang out in here till six fifteen. Um, yeah, they're pretty strict on us here at the pace. Um, but who would like to ask a question first? I will ask you to come up here and speak into the mic so that we can get it on the podcast. Come on up, Aiden. Uh, Lainey, so uh, earlier you were talking about the fall and the new creation. And more of the idea of, my question is more along the lines of like with physical disabilities. Um, I get the idea of like the range of mental and cognitive but what about like the idea of like genetic atrophy you know there is the idea that we know ideally everyone has 10 fingers 10 toes and so why wouldn't that be restored or maybe you know talking at least on the physical side you know a little bit more about that thanks so if i don't answer this fully aiden come back up um, I think you our, did say you were agnostic here, right? I yeah, that's the <laughs> I don't know, and that's actually a pretty good place to be. Um, I don't know. God knows a lot more than me. Um, so I I think our um, our ideas about bodies are very um, Platonic. So Plato has this idea that um, there is a form for everything. So I think of it as this like like almost like a uh, in kids' novels where they have like a dream bubble. It's like in our imagination, all of us have this imagination where, let's say a chair. When we think of chair, chair is going to have four legs and a back and, and maybe a cushion. And that's a chair. And any deviation from that, like, oh, what do we do with a stool? Um, is that a chair? Or the uh, debate you might have heard, is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> kind of contentious. Uh, 
So we have these ideas of categories, um, and I think we have this ideal from the Greek philosopher Plato. And so with bodies, we do envision, yeah, a, and it's because it's the most common iteration of a human body, is ten fingers, ten toes, two, two legs, two arms, whatever, functioning eyes, whatever, functioning ears. Um, so we have this conception, um, but I think that idea of the form limits us. Because what we're doing is we're saying, we're comparing every body against this thought bubble in our, in our brains, instead of maybe seeing it more as like a spectrum or a, maybe that's not even the right way to think of it, a uh, audience in a crowd and everyone's different. Um, but this idea that we're, const- we're constantly comparing back to a form is a disservice to human variance. Do you want to come back up? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Do you want to ask a follow-up? Well, I'm really uh, loud now. All right. Anyone else? All right, Jen. Okay. First of all, thanks for being here. We're so glad you did this. Um, can you talk more about Imago Day and just the idea that um, being made in the image of God means the capacity to have a relationship with Him? I would love to just hear you unpack that a little bit more. Thanks. So, um, yeah, Imago Day, uh, the fact that we are in God's image. Um, yeah, it's just been historically trying to figure out what that means. Um, it's clear in, in Scripture that we are in God's image. That's something humans um, alone have. And so there's been this process of, like, wading through what could that be. And a lot of it's, again, comparison to animals cause, or, or even maybe um, biological living things um, because we're trying to use them as a contrast. Because um, clearly we're different, but how? And so... Um, this idea of relationship, um, I, I think the, when my mind actually always goes to um, a Henry Nowen book. It's called Adam. And it's um, Henry Nowen um, was a Christian thinker um, who spent time in a, and I always butcher this word, um, large? Large, yeah. Is that it? It's French. I didn't take French. Um, it's a community of people um, with disabilities. And you live there and you engage, and it's this reciprocal friendship uh, community. He left his job at like Harvard, right? Yeah, 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 to live in this community. And so uh, one of his, uh, he was assigned working with Adam. And Adam uh, was nonverbal and um, uh, n- immobile to some degrees. And um, even needed to be um, helped going to the restroom. So very severe uh, disabilities. And so um, his just wrestling through that was incredible. So you think of someone like Adam. Like, well, how much of a relationship does he have with Henry Nowen, who, you know, spoon feeds him, perhaps? There's some sort of relationship, but it's not a relationship that might be uh, categorized as, as Imago Dei. Like he's, he's not able to engage in conversation or, or communication in the same way. Um, and so this relationship idea really is something that we as humans can't fully 
control. Who's to say that um, that you know you or I experience something where our relationships, our our human relationships, are um, we can't have them anymore because of a injury or incapacity, something. Um, think dementia, maybe. In dementia, we forget um, who relationships are. And so if we just hold uh, that we are God's image because of relationship or capacity, it just seems um, like it doesn't quite capture it. Uh, Ryan Peterson is a theologian who would say that Imago Dei is based on identity. So he kind of encompasses it in the whole human experience. Um, Our identity is um, of kind of all we do and all we all we are is imaging God, um, and that does I think it's comprehensive with the idea of well that who we are um, is always in relationship to God that He whether you're Adam or you're um, you know even someone in a coma like God can always sustain that relationship regardless of our state, regardless if we, if we don't remember God in dementia, he can remember us. And so that we are held, our identity is held in um, God's memory, is in God's relationship, is something that uh, seems to be uh, at least, if not fully, a part of the Imago Dei. That's good. Thank you. All right. So two, the first, you can just tell Rick, and maybe you can put out good Christian thinkers, good books to kind of deepen in this area. Yeah. Second, I don't know if this is a good comparison. So like we've shot down, like I don't see color, right? Like yeah. that, that's, a, that's a terrible, we don't say that anymore. We like, we celebrate diversity. We, we see it and we celebrate it. When it comes to disability, I feel like I hear it a lot often. It's like, I don't see your disability. I see you. you and again, you are, you bear the image of God. You are an image bearer. How do you, uh, do you have any I don't know if it's advice or is there any thinking on there of like how do we actually go about this? Are you you don't want to just define by disability, but I don't want to ignore what's kind of the yeah. the tension? How do you how are people going about that? Yeah, yeah. I'll go backwards. Second question then first. Um, I think this inspires a lot of fear. When Rick, you were talking about uh, this is a topic that there's a lot of fear around it. Is we don't know how to speak about it. Like, oh, do I, do I bring it up? Do I not? Do I? It's we don't want to get it wrong. And I think there's a lot more grace in this area. Um, it helps if there's a relationship, of course, but there's grace um, because there's an, we can always ask, um, even terminology, how do, do you use the word disability? Whatever that looks like, persons with disabilities, disability, disabled person, um, all that conversation can, can be with someone uh, who has disabilities. Um, so Amy Kenny, uh, has a book called my body is not a prayer request. And, um, in her book, um, she talks about how her needs are not special. Now she walks with, um, sometimes a wheelchair, sometimes a cane. Um, she utilizes both and she says, my needs are the same. I need to be able to use the bathroom. I need to be able to like get to the communion table. I need to, she says, it's not actually special. There's nothing special about my needs. Um, but 
obviously in her situation, she might have certain things that need to be in place so that she can have the same needs that you and I have, so that she can have them met, there might be some other aspects to it. So there's a, there's a, there's a flattening here in disability studies. We all have limitation. We all um, experience suffering. We all um, are, are different. So there's kind of a flattening of disability in that. And that might be comparable to the, like, I don't see color kind of thing. Although I hesitate because that's so um, uh, kind of dispelled in, in conversation, right? It's a, it's a negative right now. That's not, we've kind of come to the place culturally where that is not acceptable to, to hold that. So the flattening is good to see that that is a, this is a human with a disability, um, and they have experience just like I. But there's also a, a difference that I need to acknowledge. How do, you, how do you use the restroom? How do you get to the communion table? And so those particulars, we can acknowledge that there are particulars in human experience while saying the human experience is the same. So a lot of that is in, I think, conversation. What do you need? What is it like? Um, so I, I think disabled people are willing. It's, there's an openness to share um, with how they can... Uh, what they might need in order to, to in, be involved in community. And then uh, recommendations. So my, my top would be a book called Disability, really easy name to remember, Disability, um, by Brian Brock. And it's, um, it's meant for the church. It's meant for thinking through um, how um, we might understand, uh, I think each chapter is like something he dispels. So one is like, there's no one with disabilities in my church. And then he goes through and says how that's wrong. Or he'll say like, uh, Jesus heals everyone. Well, that's not true. So then he goes through. Um, And he has an even, he has a really good, I think chapters two and three um, have a great biblical view. So he goes through Jesus healings in one chapter and then larger, like a look at broader in scripture. So if you want a biblical, um, Theology of Disability. His is a good one. Um, Just as a kind of history book, um, it's not disability theology. It's not a Christian book, but A Disability History of the United States by Kim E. uh, Nielsen. It's just really interesting. I also like history. But it's really interesting to think about how culturally um, we conceive normal or not normal, those kind of ideas. Um, and then I'd offer anything by John Swinton. Uh, John Swinton, ha- he does a lot of work with dementia specifically. Um, and so he has a book on uh, time, Becoming Friends of Time. He has a book on, um, oh, I see the, ty- the cover. He takes different subsets. So time, oh, friendship. He has a book on friendship. Um, so anything by him if you want to dive deeper into a specific aspect of disability. That's good. Um, yeah, I love how you brought up in the first part of that question, um, asking actual people these questions, because um, it is it is pretty nuanced. Like I, I'll, I, in preparation for in preparation for this, <clears throat> I listened some to some of um, Preston Sprinkle's mm-hmm. podcast, Theology in the Raw, and 
every single person he talked to had different answers of what to say, what not to say. Like, wow, this is overwhelming, but it, it's also helpful. Anyone else? Um, a few months back, we had a theology on the ground on adoption, specifically. And so, pertaining to with its ado- adoption and physical disability or cognitive, um, and then more generally, how do we on a practical level, and you touched on this with how we can prepare as a church um, in that section, but more specifically, how on a more practical level can we avoid a, a savior or messiah complex mm-hmm. with the whole um, adoption and physical, um, and adoption and disability, and then the church um, and disability? Yeah, so I didn't get to go to the adoption uh, theology on the ground. I think that was before... Uh, maybe before we started attending. Um, so if there's something specific, let me know to that. Um, but I think the, the question of adoption definitely enters in when um, we talk about um, abortion and disability. And when we talk about um, maybe like a Christian response in adopting um, someone with uh, with disability. So um, the first is so so broad. Um, and I'm not sure if that's where your question went. But um, to think about uh, abortion and disability is just a huge, huge topic, um, and one very, very relevant. I'll leave it there unless you want to like ask a follow-up question because that's so big. Um, and then uh, adoption and physical disability. Um, there is there is an unfortunate response to disability, um, human response to disability. And it's one of um, pity or uh, stigma or uh, just seeing the difficulties that that might carry. And I I know that the Christian response is different. That's where we see people as valuable. That's where we see this this life is worth living. Uh, So hopefully the church is different from the world in that. We want that response. And so if that drive someone to adoption, an adoption of someone with a disability, physical or otherwise, um, that seems to be a, it seems to be in opposition to what the world would say. The world would say that life's not valuable. If you look up um, Down syndrome and uh, abortion statistics, it's, it's, it's pretty startling and um, just awful. So, um, so it seems like a Christian response to value a life. Um, but you ask about savior complex too. How do we make sure that we're not uh, coming in and seeing, uh, you know, ourselves as righteous in this? Perhaps maybe that's a savior complex idea. Um, and I think a huge part of that is is friendship. Obviously, that's different adoption, um, but friendship. There's a, recipro- a reciprocal nature where I'm not engaging with this person because of. Um, pity or, you know, going for a cause, but because they're valuable and because they have something to offer and I have something to offer and we're engaging in a, in a, uh, relationship. Uh, so yeah, I would see that adoption is a, is a Christian response to a worldly uh, view of disability and, uh, that, that we need to engage in friendship so that we're, we're seeing people right. All right. 
don't even know if I fully know what my question is. But when you were talking about Jesus healing and then not healing everyone, and then the Eastern perspective having a more holistic view of healing, and then seeing him, he did heal, and yet he said more in a lot of cases from what he did. Um, I feel like all I have is more curiosity on that. Like, is there anything more that you didn't say that you can help tease out? I guess part of my curiosity is just in that aspect of he didn't heal everyone, Mm -hmm. um, but then he chose to. But then, yeah, a lot of times he's, he's communicating something so much more valuable about the person as far as their spiritual needs um, are, is part of what you were saying is they were recognizing some of their spiritual needs, but in addition, their physical. So I don't know. Could you just maybe say a little bit more on that? I feel like yeah. that was really interesting to me, and I would love to hear yeah. more. Yeah, when Jesus heals, you'll notice that um, he almost always does so in response. People reach out to him, um, whether it be vocalizing something or like the bleeding woman touches his his uh, garment. So um, we have this initiation that they want Jesus in some regard. And those are the ones where you see uh, the conversion stories. When someone reaches out to Jesus and they believe that he has power and, and they see him as the Messiah, like in John 9, um, they the, the disability is, is gone. Um, but their spiritual life, they're redeemed as well. There are times that um, Jesus heals, and he does so um, where there's not a conversion involved. Like, he heals, and the person goes on their way, and it's not clear, at least in Scripture, that their spiritual state is altered at all. And you'll see that um, that the order is really important. When, when they ask for Jesus, uh, there is a spiritual there's something spiritual going on. But when um, Jesus, often when he heals and cures that body part, um, they receive that miracle, but there's not necessarily like something spiritual going on. So it's interesting because the healings are s- still to God's glory. You know, if, if he chooses to heal, if he doesn't choose to heal, if he, there's a, God is being glorified. And so um, even when that person is not, their spiritual life is unchanged, it's still showing the people around them that God is the Messiah. He has power. He is being glorified. And we have it in Scripture as as a statement of look at Jesus' power. So there's there's God's glorification um, even in... Even in, um, I know I've, I've emphasized so much that there's a spiritual component, but even in healing a, a specific body part, and, and God, I would say God still does that, where we have uh, times where there's pre- healing prayer or whatever that looks like, and God chooses to heal that body part or that ailment or whatever it might be. And that's to God's glory, and that happens. Um, and it can be in Scripture um, to the to those watching, and to us today, to those watching, so that we can see the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Any last question? I guess I'll answer, ask this one. This is more when I was 
wrestling through one of the chapters with Brian Brock. Um, so, you know, feel free to say, email him. Um, but he was kind of giving Peter a, a hard time in, in Acts chapter 3, right? Where he, he looks at the man and says, you know, silver and gold, I don't have. But, but, but um, you know, in, in the name of Jesus, um, stand up. And he, he's in, and he heals him. He, he's healed in that moment. And, 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 and yeah, it's, it's, it seemed like his angst was like, man... Peter missed it. He wasn't even, he, he didn't even ask what the guy needed. Um, and, and I don't know, I was just reading that, I was like, ah, I don't know. Like, it seemed like, man, he, he didn't have any money, but he healed him. And that seemed like a good thing that, that Luke put in there. So I, I don't know if you can speak into that at all. If not, we have a minute, so you can totally not answer this. I'm glad we have a minute. <laughs> yeah, I, in that book, this is the one I've recommended, Disability by Brian Brock. Um, he makes a point to say that uh, Jesus asks, uh, uh, how does he say it? Basically, what do you want from me? So he's like, oh, the, there's, a, there's an ask. Like, he's not just healing everyone he meets. Like, here's a healing, here's a healing. It's, what do you want? What are you asking for here? And then Jesus considers that. Are you asking for cleansing? Are you asking for healing? He, he takes the person's wishes into account. And I think he does that in part because uh, of things where people, Christians don't always take the individual's wishes yeah. into account. Um, so he makes that point really strongly that it's really important that you ask, like that Jesus ask, what, what is it that you want? Um, but I'm not sure that's where helpful. he was no, going that, in this one. On the no, that's, situation. That, that's totally helpful. Um, yeah. Um, no, it was a good, it was a good book. I, I recommend it. Um, <laughs> Can we give it up for Lainey? That was awesome. Yes, thank you so much. And thank you guys for coming out. It's so sweet to be a pastor at a church where we care about things like this. And you guys show up on a Sunday evening to talk about disability in the church. Um, let me pray. And then again, we got a few minutes to go grab those kiddos. Lord, we love you. God, thank you that you welcome us into your family. Lord, help, help us to be a welcoming church. Help us to care about these issues because you care deeply about them, God. Help us to continue to think through this. Help us to continue to implement things at RP. God, we thank you for Lainey and her time and her wisdom and just, gosh, so much that we can sit on, think through, and grow from. I pray that you would be with her as she, she continues her dissertation, would you give her wisdom and favor? Would you help her to, to, to be productive in her, in her moments she's able to get in? Um, Lord, we, we thank you for her life and ministry and what she's doing as a part of your body. God, help us as your body to um, care for the body, <laughs> all of the body. Uh, we love you, Christ. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Redemption Institute podcast. You can learn more about Redemption Institute or any of our other ministries at redemptionparker.org.